Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And welcome to Safety Wars. This is our evening edition. Hope you're doing fine out there. So we did a show earlier today. Again, as I stated, the goal of this show is for five shows a week. I've decided five shows a week, even if I have to do them Saturday and Sunday. So uh, like everyone else, I try to have a life outside of work. And we have uh, kids and family stuff and everything else and it looks like I'm broadcasting from a storeroom no it's a conference room the facility I'm at this is the only this is the only the area where I was able to secure to do this so the acoustics are great we're not going to be interrupted. It's nice and quiet. So I said, go with it. Hope you're do- enjoying your construction fall protection week. We're going to talk about some of that right now. Hopefully you've had your uh, safety stand down. If you haven't, well, hopefully you're going to be doing it this week sometime and get your nice shiny certificate from OSHA. So we're just going to delve right into it. Then we're going to go into news and views after that. Now, yesterday we talked about, or I should say earlier today, we talked about all of the uh, standards, we'll say. The OSHA standards in construction for fall protection. There are other standards in general industry and everything else that we, uh, we got this camera right uh, that were, uh, there's other stuff out there in general industry. There are ANSI regulations. Uh, I'm sorry, ANSI standards. We do all the training in that eight, four, five, two, six, nine, five, seven, seven, two. Like it says on the ticker on the bottom of your screen or Jim at safety com. We, what are we? We're a broadcast. We have this video platform. We also have a, uh, Podcast Safety Wars on most of your uh, podcast platforms, which we'll be uploading this to later on, and everything else that goes into it. Weird thing happened today. Uh, over the uh, yesterday, I posted something on May Day, and it was flagged by Facebook, and uh, they said, you know, inappropriate, inappropriate, inappropriate. I'm like, really? I appealed it and reasoned one out, and the post is back up there. So one of our main things here, if you haven't heard, I really don't go, and Jay Allen will laugh over this, I really don't go into politics per se, but when things come up, I mention it. I don't do political candidates or anything like that. Uh, If I'm going to do that, that's going to be on another platform. Because we talk about safety, safety in the news, psychological safety, anything to do with safety here. So, uh, again, uh, we don't really do politics here. We do safety. So, let's talk about this. We'll talk about the responsibilities of a competent person. Some of them. Not This is not a comprehensive thing on uh, with everything. So, in construction... Every site has to have uh, has 
to have inspections, communication, and everything else that goes along with it done by a competent person. And that is somebody who has the uh, knowledge, the know-how, the education, the training to assess hazards and then to correct them. And if you are missing either one of those, you're not a competent person, and that's OSHA. Don't take it personally. It means you're not a competent person under OSHA things. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. It doesn't mean anything like that. And the reason why they assign that is that so people are responsible for certain things. Because when everyone is responsible, then what, what's the uh, thing? No one is responsible. Everyone's responsible. No one's responsible. And this is what uh, a lot of uh, companies uh, that make the mistake on. They go out there and give everybody competent person training. And then they say, well, you're all competent persons. You're all going to responsible. And what do you think happens? Not one of them is a, nothing happens because there's not one person to go to. Also, that competent person that we're foreman uh, by default often on these jobs is also a member of management, and they just can't, they're not a worker anymore. They're a member of management, legally, under OSHA guidelines and also some legal guidelines. I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on TV or the internet or on a podcast. I'm just telling you my experience. So what's the competent person supposed to do? They have to make sure, in short, they have to make sure that they have the resources available for the job, they're able to assess, analyze, and act, monitor, observe. So you have to make sure that your crew has the resources to go and do whatever. With fall protection, you got to make sure that they have the right harnesses, the right lanyards, the right anchorage points. All their fall protection equipment, whether you're dealing with a horizontal lifeline or another system, has been designed by a competent person, I'm sorry, a qualified person, and installed under the direction of a competent person. So, for example, uh, you go out and you buy a horizontal lifeline. Are you going to be using that properly? Are you using a tie-off cart? I'm not going to mention the, uh, the brand name. Well, you're a roofer. Is that being used in accordance with manufacturers' recommendations and standards. They don't recommend a lot. They give a lot of standards. If you're using a uh, uh, tie-off point for a, uh, a D-ring tie-off point for a roof, is that installed correctly? This is where the competent person often fails. The other issue with this where paperwork. This is usually how it goes. And, uh, no, people get all upset with me. Oh, Jimmy, you're mean. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know this. You don't know that. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, uh, you know, I said, well, I've been through this. More times than I care to know, acknowledge here. I've been audited by OSHA, insurance inspectors, other auditors over the years, attorneys. What's the first thing that they ask for? And then, you, I mean, you could have, and, and it happened already on one of my projects. I got to the job, Jimmy, we have two people dead and another one per, per, uh, permanently injured probably. Oh, I, I, and you're trying to comfort the person? He said, the sheriff came here to investigate, or OSHA came here to investigate. We still have their blood all over the place. Accident scene hasn't been cleaned up. We were told to leave it alone by the police, from the investigators, blah, 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 blah. And, the, and we're all shake, shaken up here. And they ask us, the first question is for checklists training records, anything to do with paper. First question out of their mouth. As well, it's not the first question. It's, hello, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Where's your, I'm so-and-so from the Department of Labor, OSHA. 
I'm a police officer. I'm an insurance investigator. May I see your, you have a business card. Can I, what's your name? They may ask you for your uh, driver's license or other identification from the government. Then they go, they write that down. And next thing, tell us briefly what happened. And then the next thing is, where's your checklist? Did you have a job hazard analysis? Where's your safety plan? Where's your OSHA 300 log from the last three to five years? Have you ever had this situation happen before? And the questions go on and on and on. And this is, no, so the coworkers are already traumatized by an accident, catastrophic situation. Then you get people coming in there and it's very cold. Where's the paperwork? Now, what people often think, and by the way, the paperwork's got to be produced depending on how the investigator you're dealing with within three to four hours. may take three to four hours for the investigator to get there, maybe quicker, maybe not. If you're dealing with a police officer or a sheriff's uh, deputy, they may be really on the ball. Uh, it happened already on one job I was on they asked for training records after a forklift accident. People who didn't have the training records were detained. Boy, it was. They go out there, and you see someone that you think you're going to be going making inspection records. Companies do do that, by the way. And usually, they, someone ends up in jail. That's, that, that often is what happens. People end up in jail over that stuff. So you don't do it because it's forgery. You're screwing around with training records, government documents, lies. It's considered a type of fraud or perjury. So it's incumbent on you, the competent person, especially if you're in states like New York where they go out after you on the state level, does it happen on the federal level? Yeah, in theory, it does sometimes, especially with the records issues. But a state level, uh, you can get convicted of any number of uh, things, especially here in New York. So what what do we do here? Okay, got the paperwork. You have to keep up with the paperwork. What do you need? You need training records? Number one. Your fall protection plan. If you don't have a fall protection plan, what's your corporate safety plan? What are your standards? Where's your job hazard analysis? How you're going to do this? Do you have specs on how to hook up the fall protection? How about a inspection program? This is where it could get cumbersome. You have three or four people on the job? Not so much. You could go the old-fashioned way with... Uh, Checklists, paper checklists, and things probably get away with it. What if you have 70 or 80 people that you have to keep track of? I was the competent person for fall protection with uh, me and my colleague here, Bob, for about 75 to 110 people, depending on no seasonal work, painters, that sort of thing. How are you going to keep track of that? Are you going to go out uh, on your smartphone and have an app set up? If you're going to have an app set up, how are you going to record that information? How is that going to be available? Are you going to have a printout or anything else? What about, so what's on, so training records? safety meetings, all that stuff is going to be asked for. If you don't have it, you're going to have a problem because then things start to get very uncomfortable. So what's some of the questions they're going to ask? It's going to be, we'll name you, we'll call you Frank. Okay, Frank, uh, did you go and inspect the fall protection equipment? Yes. Okay, so you went in with the fall. Okay, 
So, can you prove it? <laughs> now you got a problem. Because unless you're able to prove that you could, uh, that you're able, that you did this stuff, they're not going to take your word on it in all likelihood. Why? Because they, these people are uh, lied to on a daily basis. Well, Jim, you're being a pessimist. Yeah, not really being a pessimist. I'm just telling you. They're not going to believe you. You're going to need written proof. So what is on the fall protection checklist? And lo and behold, I erased, not erased, but shut down the... Uh, Well, uh, you fall, yeah, this is, hey, if you're a first-time listener, get used to it. This is what happens all the time. So, here we go. All right. So, what's some of the things that you look for on an anchorage point, for example? A harness. Any of these other do, uh, documents. Horizontal lifeline. Inspection form. We got it all called up here. So what they're going to ask for is an equipment identification number, a serial number, what it is, what kind of figure configuration it is on that uh, thing. Is it uh, uh, what kind of lifeline material, right? And kind of configuration is it? The date of first use, the date of manufacture, everything that's on that label there. We're going to talk about the labels there. What's the name of the... Uh, owner, the inspector, signature, date of inspection. And on most, I don't want to say all, but on most of these inspection checklists, what are they looking for? First item on there, labels and markings. Is there a label on there? Manufacturer's label. label. What's on that manufacturer's label? You have serial numbers, number one. Manufacturer, number two. What type of harness it is. Manufacturer's date. date uh, some people write on their date of first use, all that other stuff. So all of that's important on there. Now, here's another thing. The insurance company, that once this goes uh, south real quick, a major accident, the insurance company is going to be looking to recoup their money here. If they have to make a if they need to make a payout, they're going to go and they're going to want to recoup their money. All right. Who are they going to try to recoup that from? It's going to be number one, right? There's going to be lawsuits. But one of the number one things is that this product failed to protect our employee or my client's employee. So they're going to try to blame everybody else. They're going to look and see if that label is there because what happens is no label. You didn't pass inspection criteria done by the manufacturer. And therefore, you weren't even supposed to be in that harness. Now you pretty much screwed yourself on this. If you're dealing with a savvy accident investigator, even that doesn't have to be anybody from the government or an insurance company, someone like me, this is the kind of argument that's going to be made. With me, am I going to make that argument? Maybe, maybe not. All depends on the situation. But it may be a leading indicator. Also, what's going to happen on the manufacturer's end, do you think? feel like I should be with an alcoholic beverage here. Where, what's it going to be on the other end? Manufacturer is going to say no labels. You don't even meet inspection criteria. You don't have the proper training. You don't have anything else. They're not responsible for that. They're going to kick it back. 
Think it doesn't happen? Oh, yeah, it happens. And then some mess of attorney is trying to figure things out. And, oh, and by the way, where did that harness come from? Did that harness, did you buy that harness, Mr. Employer? Oh, no, we took the harness from another job. Oh, that sounds really good. So now you don't even know what the history is of that harness is. It's very common, especially on a union job, uh, when there's a shutdown and everyone's getting laid off, they take all their fall protection equipment and throw it on the ground. And then other people take that fall protection equipment because their company doesn't want to spend money on fall protection equipment. And now you only have like new fall protection equipment often, and now people are taking it. Now, what's it going to be? Well, now you stole fall protection equipment and used it and got hurt. Explain to me exactly why we're responsible for any of this stuff. Don't think it happens that way? (laughs) Guess again. So those labels and being able to track where that fall protection equipment came from, preferably with a uh, uh, receipt, Hirsch's order, something like that, Right, will help to clear the waters out, so there, nothing's going to be muddied up here. Now you're going to say, Jim, this is all loco. This is all nuts. They know, and nobody believes me until it happens to them multiple times. Then, uh, so this is why in my fall protection classes, which you can attend, eight four five two six nine five seven seven two or jim at safetywars.com, you can contact me at. We go into all this. We have actual sign-in sheets for the confident person where I, te- where I put this information on there. They sign. Okay, this is what it is. And now we're, and then they go and uh, they go and, okay, there's a problem. Jim, did you train them? Yeah, here it is. We used to do, how did this evolve, by the way? We, back in the day, before they changed the OSHA outreach training guidelines, companies like mine used to do, we're talking back in like the mid-2000s, they used to do like a weekend of safety training. One day was the OSHA outreach course. The next day was like fall protection and respiratory protection. The last day was a couple of other things. Hascom. Get them out the door in three days. We actually had... Uh, company and their excuse for everything for their workers was we have no training we don't know leave us alone right uh it's also needs to be call you was what they said well leave us alone and, and they pulled the i don't speak english card uh also after and then we find out that they speak fluent english a couple of years later and immediately right especially when there is uh uh Money involved. So what what do you think happens? They go through three days of training. Back in those days, I videotaped the training classes, and there was a 35-millimeter photo. Remember, no digital photography back then. We're just coming into thing, right? And then we had these sign-in sheets, and we had tests, and we had all different things. Monday comes around. Client says, oh... How come you're doing X, Y, and Z? We've had no training. Client calls you up. Jim, you gave him training over the weekend, right? Yeah. Who was it? So-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Okay, four or five people they give me out. Yeah, here it is. They get me on the uh, phone with a major oil company. They said, did you give them training last week? Yeah, well, they're saying that they had no training. I said to them, that's funny. I have tests that they took and quizzes. I have video of the training class with them in it. I have sign-in sheets with their names on it. And I have regular photos of them doing whatever at the training class. And they said that they had no training. Oh, 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 sorry. And then what do you think happened? They got into a little bit of trouble wasn't the trouble of making the mistake. It was uh, whatever it was. The thing was that they said they had no training, and, uh, you know, guess what? 
They had all the training. Now, did they have the understanding? This next question, I know some of you viewers are asking that. The answer is, yeah, they did. Yeah, they absolutely had the training. Uh, what happened was they didn't have the incentive to do it correctly, do their job correctly. Well, what do you mean, incentive? Well, we learned later on, right, on our human organizational performance hop journey here, as Jay Allen calls it, our leader, safety mystic, Jay Allen, the head of Safety FM, as he has said, was you're all on a hop journey. How, what, and safety is about incentives sometimes. What kind of incentive do they have not to do what they learned in training? One, it was never enforced in the field. The employer didn't enforce it in the field. Then they did. The clients did not have to enforce it in the field. Then they did. And slowly but surely, now they do. 15, 20 years later, they're enforcing this stuff. They've enforced it to such a degree that they don't need auditors like me sometimes. So now they're going out and... Uh, with the, uh, now, so that's why we have things in writing. That's why we have sign-in sheets. What's the next thing on a lot of these uh, inspection forms? Are there signs of deformity? Is there a D-ring connect or a connection point? How do things look? It's for an anchorage connection. Is uh, so, and for all of these, and we're going to have props tomorrow. How's the webbing looking? The cuts, burns, holes, paint contamination, excessive wear, heat and UV damage. Most of the nylon equipment out there, the nylon fall protection equipment, is damaged by ultraviolet lights. What's the biggest source of UV lights? No, they're not taking it inside in their uh, aeroponics or hydroponics area and with the lights on the... No, that's not what we're talking about. Even though that could happen. The sun. Look out the window on a nice day. You see a thing called the sun. It's getting more and more rare to look at because, you know, we're spending all our time indoors. So you have a crew that takes this equipment and they take it and they throw it in the back of their truck, bottom of their gang box, pile a load of stuff on, on it. Usually the uh, fall protection is thrown on top of the fire extinguisher. So they got to dig that out too. And what happens? They go out there. It's in the rain. It's in the weather. It's in the smoke. This is what destroys the equipment. Eventually wearing it outside is going to destroy it. Yeah, it will. But it accelerates it. And when I see people... Doing that with the equipment is now a leading indicator to me that they have bad work habits and are incentivized. What's the incentive? You would think having safe fall protection equipment is an incentive. No, not really. What they, what's the incentive that they have is that they're in a hurry and they have to get home. Their foreman, their competent person is not out there saying, look, guys, put things away. They're not gaining enough time. It's not reinforced by the company. Now, this is all, again, we went into yesterday all the excuses that people use not to wear fall protection equipment. Do I need to review it? I think I will. I won't put it up here on share screen, but what are some of the excuses here? Oh, so that was from this morning, excuses. That I hear. It's too expensive. Well, if a let the owner hear you say that, or it's not too expensive. Well, that's why I'm doing it. Uh, and, uh, we don't really need it. Who cares, Jim? It's uncomfortable. And if it's uncomfortable, I don't have to wear it. And if I don't have to wear it, why am I taking care of it? Oh, we've never had a fall protection accident here, so why do I... No, that doesn't need it, so you, you don't take care of it. Right? Fall protection measures are only necessary for high-risk jobs and not for my job. Again, don't need it. Who cares? 
I, I don't care. Hey, it's uh, you gotta die sometime, and it will never happen to me. Those are often many. That's not all of them, but that's often some of them. So the incentive is to get the job done. Like that in uh, that famous uh, children's book, Good Night Construction Site. Their job is to get the jo- is to uh, get the job done load by load. To build a building, to build a road, to get the job done load by load. It's not to work safely. That's not where the incentive is. Often, the worker will not have any training at all in fall protection. None. So what do you think happens when there's no training at all in fall protection? They do stuff like this. They don't respect the equipment. They've never seen it deployed before, meaning used. It never ceases to amaze me how often people are astounded uh, about fall protection equipment. Jimmy, I didn't know. I didn't know that with a six-foot shock-absorbing lanyard, you need 19 feet of free-fall distance. I didn't know that. I was never told that. And as I went through this uh, earlier this week with, I'm sorry, late last week with somebody. They were never told and shown what the limitations of their equipment are, what was appropriate, and why they were doing whatever. They were about 10 foot off the ground with a six-foot shock-absorbing lanyard, which means that they would have hit the ground long before any of that equipment would have deployed correctly. All of this comes down to the competent person doing their job. Doing those inspections doing everything else associated with it. So, that's going to go, we're going to go. That's all I have to say on that today. You can use this as a, uh, you could use this as a part of your outreach training class, or regular fall protection training as a reminder Maybe you want to show this to people. Say, "Hey, look! Listen to this guy." On the, you know, people love the uh, video. So I'm gonna thank everybody who watches. Want to thank everybody who shares. I want to thank everybody who subscribes, whatever platform you're on, to this, uh, to this uh, show, whatever we're talking about. So we're gonna go to our first commercial break, and. There we go. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. In the pro- Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com 
or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. That's right. Tomorrow's safety today. And I am Jessica's daddy. So let's talk about the news here. Uh, We haven't covered this since last week. So this is all uh, off of the OSHA website here. So OSHA schedules meeting a Maritime Advisory uh, Committee on Occupational Safety and Health on May 24th. The U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA will hold a meeting of the Maritime Advisory Committee on Wednesday, May 24th, uh, 930 uh, 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 to 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight t- Savings Time. The full committee will meet in person while the public is invited to participate in the full committee meeting in person and online. So check out the OSHA website for that. Now, this came on, this made the news around uh, LinkedIn and everything else else yesterday. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration will hold a meeting of the National Advisory Committee on Occupational Safety and Health on May 31st, 2023, 9 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. The committee will meet in person while the public is invited to participate in person and online. The meeting will include a new member introductions, updates to OSHA NIOSH, discussion about OSHA's whistleblower protection program and a report from the NACOSH heat work group on proposed recommendation of potential elements of heat injury and illness prevention rulemaking. So check out the website for that. Now, U.S. Department of... uh, Labor finds a certain company failed to provide injured employees proper medical treatment at a facility in New York, uh, which was a warehouse. An ongoing investigation by OSHA has found that a certain company failed to provide adequate medical treatment for traumatic and chronic injuries at a warehouse in upstate New York. OSHA determined that the company failed to ensure injured employees receive proper medical care. At least six employees with head injuries and four with back injuries did not receive timely, necessary medical care. Injured workers were returned to their jobs, and in many cases, their injuries became worse as a result. The agency put the company on notice previously about deficient on-site medical practices, and OSHA issued a hazard alert on the issue in January 2016 at the investigation at another facility. A similar warning was delivered to the same company at another facility after OSHA identified deficiencies in on-site medical practices. So this is a very large company. But what do you do if you're a small business owner? Well, you could go to us and get first aid CPR training for the workplace, not community. You could have to do an assessment by a qualified medical person on what your exactly your needs are for that and supply them. And also get with your emergency action plan with this stuff and determine what is the appropriate way of uh, doing things. And here we go on you, the last one today. U.S. Department of Labor announces national emphasis program to re- reduce and prevent workplace falls, a leading cause of workplace fatalities. U.S. Department of Labor today announced that its Occupational Safety and Health Administration has become, begun a national emphasis program to prevent falls, the leading cause of uh, fatal workplace injuries, and the violation the agency cites most frequently in construction industry inspections. The emphasis program will reduce, will focus on reducing fall-related injuries and fatalities for people working at heights in all industries. The targeted enforcement program is based on historical Bureau of Labor Statistics, that's BLS, data and OSHA enforcement history. 
BLS data shows that of the 5,190 fatal workplace injuries in 2021, 680 were associated with falls from elevations, about 13% of all deaths. This national emphasis program aligns all of OSHA's fall protection resources to combat one of the most preventable and significant causes of workplace fatalities. Uh, said Dave, Dave Parker, the Assistant Secretary for OSHA. We were launching this program in concert with the 10th Annual National Safety Standout to Prevent Falls in Construction and Industry Safety Week. Working together, OSHA and employers and in all industries can make lasting changes to improve workers' safety and health lives. The program establishes guidance for locating and inspecting fall hazards and allows OSHA compliance safety and health officers to open inspections whenever they observe someone working at heights. That means that they're going to lunch and you're going through their and you were working right outside their favorite lunch place. Guess what? You're open game. You always were, but now you're really open game. An outreach component of the program will focus on educating employers about effective ways to keep their workers safe. Now, the OSHA outreach training program, a large chunk of it, something like an hour and a half, every time I teach a class, I go over the exact guidelines to make sure I get them right. It's like an hour and a half for a 10-hour course and like a three hours, four hours for a 30-hour outreach course on just on falls because that's how common they are. It's how dangerous they are. EPA settles, settlement, settles. <laughs> uh, EPA settlements resolve alleged violations of toxic chemical reporting by six New England companies. This is from yesterday. The U.S. EPA today announced settlements with six New England companies that resolve alleged violations of the Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act, which requires companies and organizations to report their use and release of toxic chemicals to EPA's Toxic Release Inventory Program. The companies are smaller companies that I've never heard of, and we'll leave it at that, uh, that exists in Vermont, Massachusetts, New Bedford, Massachusetts, Warwick, Rhode Island, Madawaska, Maine, and Brattleboro, Vermont. These settlements exemplify how EBA holds commercial enterprise accountable for ensuring that they do not harm the communities where they are, said EBA New England Regional Administrator David W. Cash. Existing, incentivizing, and ensuring facilities comply with required annual reporting of exactly what chemicals they use, what they're releasing into the environment, keeps all of our communities safe and informed including those who have suffered from disproportionate amount of environmental pollution. That's the old environmental justice thing coming into this. EPA reminds New Englanders to use free air quality alerts for the summer smog season. So air quality, uh, so the EPA has air quality awareness week from May 1st to May 5th, 2023. In a very uncomfortable chair. With the onset of warmer weather, the U.S. EPA urges New Englanders to be aware of increased risk of ground-level ozone and fine-particle air pollution, often returned, referred to as smog, when combined, and to take health precautions when smog levels are predicted to be high. EPA and the New England states continue to offer free resources uh, to the public. So uh, you could check their website out on that. EPA honors... A uh, national leader in the fight against asthma disparities during Asthma Awareness Month in May. The Wisconsin Asthma Program recognized as national model for work to enhance indoor air quality for people with asthma. Each May during Asthma Awareness Month, EPA highlights uh, asthma awareness and recognizes leading asthma management programs for their work enhancing the quality of life for individuals with asthma. Growing up with respiratory challenges in North Carolina, I know all too well the struggle that uh, millions of, of Americans suffer daily. Asthma is an issue that impacts the entire country and children of families living in underserved communities. It's an environmental justice thing going on again. Overburdened by pollution are disproportionately impacted, said EPA Administrator Michael S. Regan. 
That's why I'm so proud of the work EPA is doing to support real solutions, giving hope to those who battle asthma. Thanks to programs like Wisconsin's Department of Health Services Awareness, we are leading the, in innovation, making significant progress to protect human health. So what are some of the things here? One, identify and avoid environmental asthma triggers. If you have asthma, you know what those are. Pay attention to outdoor air quality and create an asthma action plan. This will help you monitor your asthma and take steps to reduce exposure to your personal triggers. Ask a health care provider to assist you in creating a plan. EPA orders Florida Garden Supplies Incorporated in Livonia, Michigan to stop the sale of unregistered pesticides. So, uh, again, all pesticides have to be uh, labeled. All of them have to be uh, authorized. All of them have to be registered. And the reason why they have these registrations is that... uh, The correct, there being the correct people are applied there, but apparently, uh, there, there, these may be coming out, uh, you know, being brought into the country illegally is what it sounds like. Uh, uh, weird, weird situation here. EPA celebrates career training, job opportunities, and 20 super fund. We used to call it super fund, super fund job training initiative graduates. In Omaha, Nebraska. Is that out by the uh, Wild Kingdom there? No, you know. Okay, back in the 70s, they had Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, right? But anything. So anybody who grew up in that knew that, uh, knew that joke. Today, the U.S. EPA Region 7 Administrator Meg McAllister joins leaders from the city of Omaha and the Douglas County Health Department to congratulate 20 graduates of the EPA Superfund Job Training Initiative Program. The graduation ceremony will be held at the Highland Accelerator on North 30th Street in Omaha. Today's graduates are now empowered with skills and certifications needed to perform environmental cleanups and obtain good-paying jobs right here in Omaha. So what what kind of uh, training do they have here? So they apparently were remediating lead impacted soil from historic uh, smelting and lead processing activities at whatever site they're working at. Okay, so what kind of training do you normally need to do hazardous waste or Superfund site work? Come on. 1910-120, hazardous waste at operations and emergency response, which we treat, teach. I've been teaching that since... 1993, roughly, parts of it, and then in uh, in uh, total. So give us a call, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com, and I'm going to tell you, we'll give you that training here. We also do a lot of that training online uh, via uh, Zoom or other online platform. And then we have the field work exercise at your facility. So uh, that's the basic one. You may need some certain contaminant-specific uh, uh, contaminant-specific con- training. You re- and but that's basically it. Your forty-hour training, and what else goes on on a hazardous waste site? Sampling. Work, the re- regular type of work of now whether it's shovel work, sampling management of the cleanup, uh, paperwork uh, with ha- hazardous waste manifests, air sampling, perimeter sampling, personal sampling for air sampling. Uh, you name it, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. And uh, very comprehensive training for everybody there. So here we have not gotten into war news lately, so let's go on over to war news. Okay, Russia is building defenses deep inside its own territory, fearing a sweeping Ukrainian counterattack, according to United Kingdom intelligence. 
UK officials have only noted extensive Russian defense far from the current front lines. Some are even behind Russia's own border, suggesting it's worried about uh, Ukraine attacking there. Ukraine is preparing a counteroffensive, but it isn't clear that it could and that could invade Russia uh, or wants to. Russia is building defenses hundreds of miles away from its borders with Ukraine fearing a counteroffensive so sweeping it could push into Russian territory, according to British intelligence. Are we being played here? I don't know. Ukraine rejects Western fear that Putin would use nuclear weapons to keep Crimea. Russian President Vladimir Putin won't use nuclear record weapons to retain control of Crimea, according to a senior Ukrainian official who rejected contrary Western warnings that is a product of Russian propaganda. They're saying we're being played. I don't think that they will use the nuclear weapons. Right, uh, tactical weapon uh, against Ukraine. Ukrainian special representative Tamila Tasheva told the Examiner, "I don't think so." Oh, really? They've been saying they would. It's been part of their strategy since before the fall of the Iron Col- uh, Curtain and the, before the fall of the Soviet Union. They might, but we're not gonna. Ah, they ain't serious. Uh you know, not a problem. The President of the United States said recently and i'm not picking on him i'm just stating the fact that we're closer now to nuclear war than we were ever basically than the like the cuban missile crisis here we have uh something that might uh impact safety so there's apparently a writer's strike uh so uh, this is from Deadline.com. Gutfield, to remain on Fox News, invites... Uh, oh, I know it's Fox News, right? Not all the late-night shows have gone dark, it seems. Gutfield will remain on Fox News, airing a new episode this evening. This comes after WGA called for a writer strike following breakdown and talks with the studios. All other late-night shows uh, from uh, the late show with Stephen Colbert and some of the other ones are uh, on strike. Uh, my question is, is how is this going to impact television? I don't know. I'd tell you what you could do. We're not on strike here. You can go and tune in to me and Jay Allen here if you want something to look at. I mean, look, you know, we got the nice thing. Uh, of course, Jay is much more handsome than me. Uh, what else do we have here? We have a couple minutes more left. British people urged to swear allegiance to the king. So this, somehow, my Aunt Joyce, I don't know if she planned this out or if it was complete uh, coincidence. She's going to England this week, not to see the coronation. She just had a trip planned to England for like a year, year and a half, and this happened. So she's going to be there to see the coronation, at least what you could, what you could see. Uh, all Britons will be called on to swear allegiance to the King Charles III at his coronation, an oath here, hitherto reserved for British nobility, and a move that has upset anti-royalists. So, uh, there's a traditional homage of peers, which, uh, during, the refer- which, during which representatives of nobility kneel before the King, pledge allegiance to him or to her if it was a queen, that's going to be stat, uh, scrapped and said a ceremony will include homage of the people with the Archbishop calling on people in all the United Kingdom and other places where King Charles is the head of state to swear allegiance. Okay, so I've been following this, especially since the whole Meghan Merkel thing and all the co- other controversies that are going on here with uh, this. And they, there's been a move, I've been told, all this time. We're going to try to bring, like, the nobility into the, the uh, royal family to try to relate to the people more, right, right and everything else. So instead, uh, you know, and they say, okay, it's a constitutional monarchy, I get it, but they have uh, representatives, so it's more like a parliamentary, more like a republic. I don't know, I'm not a political scientist, I'm just a humble environmental scientist. But I don't think that this is going to have its intended 
its intended uh, result here. So rather than somebody else pledging allegiance to the king and the royal family, now we're demanding everybody do it. I don't think that that's such a good idea, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really don't. Oh, what do I, how do I want to fit it, right? Okay, and so tomorrow what we're going to be doing, it has to be pre-recorded because I have props and everything else uh, with this on exactly uh, uh, how to use fall protection equipment. And it's going to be, I don't know exactly what I have planned. I just want to welcome you back uh, tomorrow, and I want to thank you for uh, watching the program, and I hope to see you online Drop me a comment. Drop me a line. Tell me what you think about the program. Honestly, I'm not going to go and fight you. So, because that might be an OSHA recordable. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Good night, everybody. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. ones for you King Charles Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.